0: Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, we have Joanna Newton, Joanna is a leader in e-learning, marketing, and sales. She has spent over 10 years building unique organic strategies for education-focused brands and content creators alike. She specializes in utilizing innovative and fresh marketing strategies often used by influencers to not just acquire customers, but to create fans. Hi, Joanna. Good morning. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for joining me for this today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning.
0: My pleasure, Joanna. Uh, Joanna, I want to uh, talk to you about your journey, but before that, a brief introduction about yourself and what you do as of now.
1: Of course. Um, my name is Joanna, and I am in the course creation space. I help content creators, coaches learn how to monetize their content through creating online courses, setting them up, and learning how to sell them.
0: Great stuff. Um, Joanna, before the podcast, as just, you know, going through your LinkedIn profile and then, um, you know, I saw that you'd started off managing a tutoring company as your first stint.
1: Yeah, of uh, course.
0: You know, uh, which is uh, totally opposite to that of, you know, creating courses. And uh, you did this in 2011. It's been more than a decade now. Um, So how do you see the transformation uh, in the domain, you know, over a period of 10, 12 years?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, Like you said, I started working for a test prep company, managing tutoring. I did a lot of different roles in that job, and worked at various educational companies throughout my throughout my career. Um, The transition to being a business owner has obviously been an interesting one. Um, Really, being instead of being part of a company where I call the shots, I set the strategy. Obviously, you do that as a at a top level of a company, but it's not the same as it being yours. But the industry overall has changed a lot um, in the decade that I've, that I've worked in. When I started, the brand name test prep tutoring companies were the be-all and end-all. People just wanted to go to a well-known company and learn from them. As I started going through my career... I noticed that more and more people were popping up in this like edgy celebrity space, right? So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to work with Kaplan or the Princeton Review, people were finding individuals who were known in this space because they were speakers, they were, um, you know, networking, they were the local person that did all of the free events. And this personality selling of educational products definitely became a huge part of what was going on. The next big change that I saw in the test prep tutoring world was COVID. Now COVID happened and all of a sudden everyone was way more comfortable with online learning. So before COVID, In selling, you had to do a lot of work to convince someone that an online course or doing tutoring virtually, you had to do a lot of work to actually make people realize it was a good solution. So you did, it was hard. You had to like convince them it's just as good as in-person learning. COVID happened. Everybody had to learn online, right? Then everybody realized how great it was that they didn't have to drive their kids to a course, pick them up. And that They actually had more choice. You could find the best tutor, the best teacher to work with because you could pick from anyone in the world, not just the person or the course that happened to be on your street. So in some ways, COVID, this whole personality selling trend made it easier to sell, but in some ways it made it harder. Because there's a lot more choice and there's a lot, lot more options that families have when choosing, choosing their, their online learning approach.
0: Right. Joanna, uh, what you do now, you know, you help course creators uh, with their business. But uh, was 2020 the point, you know, uh, the idea of doing this first came about? Or, you know, were you always thinking about this even before that?
1: Yeah, so I've always wanted to be a business owner um for for my whole career, but it took me some time to figure out what my business should be. Um the time that I spent working in the corporate world was amazing because it helped me to like really hone my skills, like figure out my brand, figure out what what I'm good at. And in, in 2020, I was working for a startup that was selling an asynchronous online learning course for high school students. And a lot of what I did there, I brought into my own business, like the strategies, the things I started to realize that instead of just helping one company with this, I could probably help lots of people using the same strategies and methods. So after COVID, I started just freelancing. So I wasn't doing a whole business. I just started, I started freelancing, finding people to work with. My goal was to do social media strategy for for folks. And so All of the clients that I was able to close were all course creators because I wasn't even trying to only work with course creators, but everybody who wanted to work with me was was a course creator or had some sort of educational access. Not everyone. I had some non-course creation clients, but the majority of people were course creation clients. And I really connected the most with those clients because because of my background, Um, teaching you know, selling an educational product was just really what I was based in. so I, um, while I was doing freelancing, that's when I met my my business partner. He has a course for. Um, an online drone school. Basically, he helps people pass the exam that you need in order to be able to fly a drone commercially. So, even though it wasn't high school test prep um, in that like K through twelve education space, the the concepts of how you sell are very similar because it's, it's selling for a test, get it, getting that outcome. So we worked together. I helped him with some of his social strategy, different things. And, you know, one day we were talking and we were like, you know, we could just do this together helping other people. You know, him with his more technical background of getting getting the courses set up, the educational design, you know, the strategy of, you know, that some of that more nitty-gritty strategy of that selling, that setup, and me with my understanding of, you know, brand awareness, content marketing, you know, all of that. I also have a big operations background, like just like knowing how to make things work, creating SOPs, all of that. We just realized that, you know, maybe we could make a business out of this um so we actually didn't get our first client our our first client we got about a year ago in august of 2022 i was still working full-time um and we just kind of we we grew a lot faster than i thought we would and um i went full-time with this in march of 2023
0: great because i was going to like Come back to that, but then you answered yourself <laughs> that uh <laughs> you were still working when you started freelancing. Because um Correct. to uh you know, to some of the people that are listening and you know, who are who've been thinking of, you know, taking the plunge, um, it's a difficult choice to make. It's it's difficult to time it right, you know, the moment you kind of leave your job yep. and go full time. So um, how did you kind of, you know, have a plan in place or, you know, you thought, you know what, I'm just going to go start freelancing until I hit a certain financial target. I'm going to keep my full time job. Is that how your thought process was? If not, what yeah. was your thought process?
1: Yeah. So when I, I started freelancing, um, it was originally meant to be supplemental. I, I worked at a startup. My salary was furloughed. I needed to make up the difference. So at first it was purely supplemental. Then when I, when I started the business, um, millennial marketer, my new business, I, I was thinking it would take about a year. Like that was my mindset that I thought I would need a year to do that. And then we, we got busier faster. And what I was able to do to decide to make that leap, I did two things. Um, I, I had started, 100% saving all of my income from my side business so that I had a couple of months of expenses in the bank. Um, I am my husband's a stay at home dad. Like, I'm the sole breadwinner of our family. I hold our health insurance. Well, I was holding it with my company. Now we're paying for it outright. But there were some serious things we had to think about financially to be able to make that move. Everyone's situation is different, right? Some people, they're They, they might not be the main income earner. They might have some more flexibility, but I needed that stability. So we, I, I saved. So I made sure I had three months, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's, I was like, I just want three months of expenses in the bank, just in case we have a bad month, something happens, I'm not able to. And then um, I'm I pay really close attention to our company's finances and I made sure we had some recurring revenue and recurring clients um, in in our docket. So when I saw okay, we have this threshold of you know these are these are expected income for the next three months these are expected, expenses. I felt like I knew I would be able to pay myself what I needed for three months. See, That doesn't sound like a lot, but for me, it was like, okay, I think if we have three months, I can make this work. Because I also knew with leaving, I would be, be able to spend more time on, on growing the company. Right. So if I knew if I had just a few months runway, for me, that made me feel comfortable. I also do. I have a lot of experience in this space, a big network. I also knew that if something didn't work out, I would be able to see it far enough in advance to then go back and find another another full-time job if I had to, or another part-time, you know, something. Um, but th- those were the kind of steps that I took to feel comfortable leaving my nine-to-five.
0: Great stuff. That sounds, uh, you know, pretty simple, but yeah, I mean, um, I think effective for what you had in mind. Uh, Joanna, uh, I have a bunch of questions, but I'm going to start off with this. So, uh, you know, when you decided that you need another supplemental income, uh, how do you remember the story of getting your first freelance client?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So I actually, my first freelance client was with a colleague of mine who I still work with from time to time. We worked together and the client was actually someone who reached out to her to bring her in for a full-time job. Um she wasn't interested in the full-time job so she actually pitched them freelancing with both of us together, because there, there were pieces of the project that were really right for her, and there were pieces of the project that were really right for me to take on. So my first client was um, a, a tutoring company that we were able to just get on board and work together. So my first freelance client was co-done with a, with a colleague of mine. Um, and then after that, we worked together to find more clients, primarily through Upwork so right. we were able to, um, you know, look look for job postings that fit our skill set, apply to them, and and find clients through that. The other place I found some initial freelance clients was just through my network, through through networking, um, being active. Where you found me on LinkedIn, people do reach out to me from time to time asking for about different services that I can offer.
0: Right, great. Uh, Joanna, and you know, while you freelanced till you, you know, uh, got on full time into your entrepreneurial journey, what were some of the success stories that, you know, really helped you go forward? And uh, what are some of the lessons that you took away from there?
1: Yeah, some of some of one of the things that Was really empowering. When you're an employee, it's really easy to think that your success isn't your success. It's really easy to think, oh, it's it's the company. The company did it. It's their brand name, their reputation. So when you sell something for, uh, like a known company, it's hard to say, oh, I did that, right? But as I started to help multiple people and they saw success, they saw growth over and over and over again in different niches, different audiences, you're like, oh, I do know. Like, I do know what I'm doing. Like, I really know how to do this because I didn't just do it at this company, this company, this company. Now, I've helped these 20 people experience growth, reach a goal you know do that thing and that kind of gives you the confidence to realize I can I can help anyone you know I can I can use use the knowledge that I have the framework that I have the sales strategies marketing techniques that I have and apply it to any creator any niche any course and so that kind of gives you the confidence that you need to, to really move forward. The other thing that's I think hard as an entrepreneur, the opposite's also true. So when you lose a client or someone doesn't like like your work, then you're like, oh, that was just me. That was just me. And and learning how to parse out the truth is some personalities just don't work right together. Like, you know, if you're a tutoring student, sometimes a tutoring student and you might you might not click. That's Great. okay. They they can go find they can go find someone that clicks and um and part of that now as as we've built more systems and got more repeat success is qualifying um potential clients on our own end. Do we think they're a good fit for us as well becomes important because then you know everyone's going to be successful.
0: Great. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the clients choosing us it's uh, as much as us choosing them as well great and uh, Joanna you know entrepreneurship can get lonely if you're a solo entrepreneur and then you know you also uh, reveal that you know you have a business partner yeah but you know that's also not a very easy one it can be tricky sometimes if you don't end up choosing the right one so how did um, you choosing your business partner happen and, you know, uh, at what point did you feel, OK, uh, he's going to be a good addition to your. Yeah, good
1: addition. Yeah. You know, when I worked with him as a freelancer, so he he hired me. We worked together for almost a year. Right. And right. and then we ideated about this company for multiple months before we started. So I was able to really know him and know that we work well together, know what each other's strengths are. And I think the most important thing about our partnership is that we're very aware of each other's skill sets and what we do best and trust each other to do what that other other person does best, right? And rely on each other in those ways. And I think that's really important. The other thing too is we both work very hard. So I think sometimes it could be hard if if you if you're very motivated yeah. and you're working with someone who is not that can be frustrating right because you're saying I'm putting all of this time and all of this effort and you're not like you're not matching me. And obviously, you know, when you work with someone long term, there's ebbs and flows of that, right? Sometimes someone has something going. There there might be like ebbs and flows in how much each person is working. But We both had a a lot of drive and a lot of passion for this and put in the time. And so it never feels uneven in in any way. Do you you know what I mean? And I think that's important, too, in a partnership, to know you have someone who's going to really put just as much into it as you are.
0: Great. And, Joanna, you said, you know, one of the things that made it work was the complementing skill sets that both of you Mm -hmm. have. But, you know, um, I don't know, just curious as uh, this business model, you know, one of the uh, downsides that I see here is that, um, you know, you as a business work well because both of you come together to join a set of service. Right. So uh, have you thought about, you know, have do each of you pick each other's skills whenever possible or have you been clear about, you know, these are my skill sets. I'm going to stick to this. You're going to stick to that.
1: Yeah, I think that that's something that we are even still developing as we build out our team. So now we're in a phase where we're hiring people for certain roles and and actually finding people who do really specific skill sets. And because of the nature of my business, I've always like filled in the gaps. I've always been the person who's like, okay, we have someone to do this, so I'll do this. We have someone to do this, so I'll do this. You know, so right now that that's an interesting question because we're in the phase of figuring that out. Right. So I don't have an answer for that yet. Um but we're in the phase of really figuring out exactly who does what, who's responsible for what, um and and where those lines draw, but I think it's important that when we are coming up with new strategies, new initiatives, new things, we always come together and like and have consensus about what those things are. And then once something's up and running, they can just run, right? You don't have to like ask questions every time. But when we're doing something new, we make sure we come together and really solidify the plan and the strategy together.
0: Right, right. Got it, Joanna. Joanna, uh, you know, in the domain of uh, helping course creators, you know, there are so many people with so many ideas, right? And um, are you, you know, have you figured out What domain of courses that you uh, really work with? Or, you know, do you work with anybody who creates any kind of courses?
1: We really work with anybody who creates any kind of course, which might sound a lot, and it is a lot. But because the truth is the, the psychology and the strategy and the tech that you need to sell an online course to any niche, really doesn't change. It's possible that the channels you use to sell are slightly different. It's possible that the types of content that you create is different, or the look and feel of a website is different, that branding. But the truth is, every course creator, you're selling a transformation. And this is one of the things that I think people lose track of a little bit you're not selling a course, you're selling a transformation. So if you're selling an SAT prep course, you're not selling an SAT prep course that comes with four practice tests, four sessions, you're selling getting into a great school, right? right? Like what you're actually selling is creating an admissions profile that's going to get you into your dream school. And and that's something that – um All course creators need to figure out is what is that transformation they're selling, not just what are the specifics. And then your course outline, your product has to get them to that place, right? But you're not selling the course. You're selling the outcome that people get from that course.
0: Right.
1: And it doesn't matter if it's getting into college or being able to flip a house or, or whatever it is, it's, you're selling that transformation.
0: Right. Got it. And Joanna, when it comes to, you know, uh, selling your services or, you know, acquiring a new client, uh, what is your primary go-to method as of now?
1: Yeah. So, so right now, um, all of all of our client growth has been through sales, which is funny. We help people with marketing, and we've gotten started with really direct selling. And I do believe generally speaking, most people's first clients, first customers come through like direct direct outreach versus like an inbound marketing um, marketing technique. So the majority of our sales have come from reaching out. Starting at Upwork, so so applying to jobs through Upwork to to find things. Um, there have been some new marketplaces that have popped up for people who support course creators. We've started to utilize some of those new marketplaces, um, and then and then now have started to get referrals. Um, so people just hearing referral basis. They worked with someone they know someone, they come to us, um, and all of that. So the majority of our client acquisition has come from outbound outreach. The other thing that's starting to happen is is some, some inbound um, through my social media, through my business partner's social media, and through... Um, Just email searches because our profiles will come up. People will be like, "Oh, I saw your profile. Can you help me with this?" So we're starting to to get some inbound now, and we do have a strategy to do more inbound going forward. But I think starting with that direct kind of networking sales approach is a really great way to get your first clients.
0: Wow, that was uh, pretty refreshing to to you know to be very honest because um, I haven't heard anybody come and say, okay, you know, as of now, I'm getting clients through a direct outreach, or sales method. And then, you know what, uh, I haven't heard a lot of them uh, talk about sites like Upwork as well. Given that you mentioned that, Joanna, you know, for people who are starting out, that seems like a very good strategy. You know, there are so many sites like Upwork, uh, like freelancer.com, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to it, what would you say are the key things to take care of when, you know, when you're on your way to get your first client through one of these sites?
1: Through one of those sites. I think building your profile is really important um, and and making sure you have your your credentials, you are, are doing all of the things. Now, your first clients are going to be hard because you have no history there. So you're just yeah. going to be relying on the words that you choose. But those words you choose in your profile are really important. When we started, we just started at a fairly low rate with the goal of building our profile. So it was all about doing quick, quicker projects, low cost, where we'd have a completed job and they would leave us a review. So it was all about just getting those reviews in because we knew if we were able to build our profile up, that we would be able to find folks that way because someone would see us apply for the job they'd be like oh they completed 10 jobs they have 10 five star reviews okay i trust these people so it's just like curating a, a social media platform if you're if you're using fiverr or upwork or freelance.com or whatever you're using your profile is Very important to optimize and make sure that that it's showcasing who who you are. People will will look at it. Now we're at a point because we built up that profile. We've added videos to the profile. We have reviews. We have a lot of completed work. People will find our profile by searching it, and now reach out to us and say, "Oh, can you do this project?" So we're not even we're still applying to new jobs, but we're also getting inbound requests now through Upwork because of, of the quality of, of our profile. The other thing too is I think sometimes when you're an entrepreneur or, or, or a course creator seller, you think you need to be a brand to get people to want to work with you. Our profile is my business partner's face and his name. So it says he's millennial marketer, but the profile isn't millennial marketer. It's a person. Right. right. And of course, he always in the sales process lets him know we have a team and we're a group of folks and this is who does what. And we're not like hiding the fact that that we're a whole company, but people want to work with people. And that's just that's just true. And so I think sometimes I've seen course creators not use their face, use a logo, use their brand name and talk in we all of the time. We do this, we do that because they think, "Oh, if I appear like a big company, people are going to want to work with me." And I'm like, "No, it's the opposite." You know, you know what I mean? And not that you never yeah. talk in we if it me, if it's really we, but if it's your strategies, your stuff, say I. There's no reason to not. There's no reason to not show your face and to go go with your name versus, you know, a a company facade.
0: Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you for that, Joanna. Joanna, uh, you know, from what I know a little bit, I know that, you know, course creation is just not to share your knowledge. But course courses are used for so many things apart from just, you know, creating a course-only business. From from, you know, in your experience um, from the number of clients that you met, what are some of the different broad reasons that courses are created for?
1: Yeah. So I think um... A big theme is exam passing, and there are licensure exams of all sorts in every niche. I've learned about so many um, that 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 I had no idea exist. Like you know, my business partner who has a course for the Part One Hundred Seven exam. It's the exam you need to pass to be able to become a drone pilot, right? So and and pay for your services. It's one. So there's all types of licensing exams, assessment exams, things people need to do. That's a very popular sort of group of things. There's also a lot of courses about starting businesses in, in different niches. So you see this a lot in real estate, um, people helping other people flip houses or you know do different types of real estate techniques. I think there's also a lot of types of courses in the mindset sort of area where, where you're that self-development, you know, mindset area, whether it's like positive thinking or wellness or meditation, like a lot of people working through that. I've also seen people start to make like like fitness courses where it's like live streaming fitness classes where you can log in and work out with someone, right? So so really the, the possibilities are endless. And I think if someone is thinking about what, like they're thinking, okay, what could my course be about? <laughs> like, like, what should I actually teach on? Think about something you're, you're good at, a strategy you've developed. What are those steps that you take in that, that strategy that can likely be, become a course?
0: Right. I want to ask another question, uh, you know, along the same lines. Sometimes, uh, you know, have you wondered, oh, uh, like, okay, do people create courses uh, indirectly or let's say, uh, is course creation a marketing channel or a marketing tool as well? You know, uh, they may really at the end want to sell something else, a product or whatever yep. it is, but do they disguise their marketing uh as a course? Has that been a case that you've worked with, Joanna?
1: So I I see what you're saying. I think some people create a course to sell something else. And I think that can be a very good strategy. Like it totally can. You can offer that course for free or low cost. And in the end, you're actually hoping to sell another thing. I will tell you that if your course is one big sales pitch for that thing, it's not likely to be successful, right? Yeah. So if you're selling a, 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 and I've seen people do this, sell sell like a $25 webinar on a topic and the whole webinar is just selling, that's not going to work. Right. But But, you know, say – as an example, if you're a SAT prep tutor, right? So pretend you're an SAT prep tutor for a second about preparing for test day. So you sell a $10 mini course that has a couple of videos that says, you know, get sleep, do this, do a couple practice, right? You're you're giving them some tools. It's inexpensive. It it gets you some revenue and is lead generation. And then from that, you sell your one-on-one services. That makes sense. But if your free course is just about why you need a tutor and then you're selling, people are going to be like, I just paid you to sell to me? No. But if you give people real helpful value, and then upsell them from that that makes a lot more sense as a as a lead flow because it's much easier to you know sell more to an existing client or customer than find new ones so getting someone in your ecosystem and having a whole suite of things that they can purchase and interact with makes sense as long as they each have value of their own
0: right right Joanna, uh, this is for people, you know, uh, who may not believe, oh, do people ask, uh, you know, uh, help uh, to do these kind of tasks? Say, for example, a course creation, in the the process of a course creation, what are the different kind of tasks that are outsourced by course creators? And what's the most commonly uh, asked uh, service from you guys?
1: Yeah, I think the most common service is web development um people don't know how to build a landing page and it's not just not just the skill of the land like there's the skill of creating the pages themselves but so many services these days are very user-friendly drag and drop like you can build them but there's also the psychology and the, the strategy of what goes into a sales page or a or like a funnel, like a, a lead generation funnel that, that works to sell a course. So a lot of what we do is helping people create those pages, writing the copy and flow, designing it, working with them to get them a, a working sales page. I think that's something that people often are really looking for help with. I think the next best thing is just helping them organize their curriculum. I think that's something that, you know, if you're a teacher, you likely actually have a good background in this and might not need help with this. But a lot of folks who aren't, teachers, but just have a skill set, they might just need support going through what is their outline? What should it look like? How do I break up the lessons? Where should I put a download or a quiz or an assessment? Like the right. actual right. instructional design of what goes in the course, often um, folk, folks need help with. So I think there's a lot, you know, that, that others can support um, course creators in their journey. And there's something that as a business owner, you have to think about, like where is your time most valuably spent? Um, Sometimes we work with folks who have been trying to get their course into the world themselves for years. So we'll start talking to them and they've been like, I've been working on this for years and there's something stopping them from, from doing that. And a lot of times when you make an investment, into something, you'll get it done, right? Because, well, I spent this much money to get a sales page built, so that sales page is getting built because I spent the money. Now I need need to make that investment. And I think sometimes to kind of kick yourself... And to push yourself forward as an entrepreneur, you have to put something in it. Right. And and when you're accountable to somebody else, right? You have someone you have me following up saying, like, hey, can you approve that page? You know what I mean? Like, or what changes do right. you need when you have someone kind of following up and on your side to help you finish that project? That can mean a difference between selling and not selling. People always talk about investment right? Like if you start investing early in your 401k, it's going to make a ton of money. And if you wait too long, it makes so little. I think the same is with starting a business. The earlier you like get it out there into the world for people to experience it and buy and maybe your first course is a flop because nobody wants it and you get some feedback and you're like, okay, that's not what the market wanted. I'm going to try this instead. Getting things out into the world it's the only way you'll know if you'll be successful. And if it's never in the world, well, it's definitely not going to be successful.
0: Right. Joanna, you also uh, spoke about an interesting thing. As a business owner, you also want to kind of, you know, make a conscious choice as to what to uh, pick up, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what, what is valuable to you. Have there been instances, you know, where you've kind of said no to some kind of tasks? And if yes, what are those kind of tasks that you said no
1: Yeah, you know, right now, I am in a position where I just try to get everything done. Um, Like, like, so saying no is not my best skill. But for me, it's actually about creating processes and then outsourcing so you know as an example we just hired an account manager for our business so right. a lot of the project managing that i have been doing will now go to a- another person right. but in that process i was doing those tasks i built a process for it i created steps and templates and all of this that now someone can can do so i think for for me because I've I'm sort of a, a a jack of all trades in some way or a Jane of all trades, um, I, what I'll do in my business is figure out a process, a way to do it, a way to make something work, and then find someone to come in and, and take that task over so that I can focus on the next thing, right. Because, you know, if you're holding on to everything, you're not going to be able to actually grow your business. But if you have something really good. And then there's some things that aren't in my skill set. I'm not a video editor, right? So our video editors do video editing. I'm not a web developer. So our web developer does web development. Like there are some things that you're like, oh, not gonna do that. I need someone for that right away. And then other things you develop processes for and then delegate, you know, when you have when you have that process.
0: Right. Uh, Joanna, from a course creator point of view, you know, one of the things that when you go out on social media that you see, when you see a lot of others creating courses, you know, they have huge social media followings and stuff like that. And that can sometimes be a very demotivating factor for people who just starting out and who don't have any followers, right? Yeah. On, or they don't have a, any significant social media presence. So uh, what is um, a right way for these people to start off, you know, get into the course creation and then selling that sort of thing?
1: Yeah if you're saying if they have they don't have a following
0: yeah they don't
1: yeah so i would challenge them to realize that they probably do have a following it might just not be in on a social channel yet right, right? so like like you know i've worked with folks who were in ministry and and worked at churches and they might not haven't have never set up a Instagram page, but they, they have met with hundreds of thousands of people who love their teaching. Right. Right. So find those people taking a more grassroots sales approach to get started is not a bad, I mean, we talked about this earlier, like finding people, talking to people, um, I think you should start growing a social media following. That's something we could talk about, like actually starting to grow. But you do not need tens of thousands of followers to sell a course. On the flip side, I've worked with people who have huge followings and launch a course and struggle to sell because their the way they grew their following doesn't actually fit. A, a group that would want to buy. Right. So that number, you can have a thousand followers, and you can be selling a ton, and you can have 10,000 followers and sell nothing. Like like it is beneficial to have a following. I'm not, I'm not saying that there, there's a way to be able to move and monetize an audience like that. But if you've been working in your skill set, you likely have people that would benefit from your course or from your offering that you know. and and that you, you do that. The other thing, so reaching out to those people organically thinking, oh, did I do an event? Do I have an email list from that that I have permission to send you? Do I have a friend that knows people that can have it? So some of that networking can be a great way to get first course sales. And then on top of that, another really great strategy is to borrow other people's audiences. So, so that can be through like paid partnerships, like, right. You can like pay to send an email out through somebody's list or, or something like that. You can also, you know, join Facebook groups and network in Facebook groups to start getting leads and, and funneling people to you. So you can go into places where these people are and find them and funnel them to yourself as part of your your strategy. Facebook groups, LinkedIn, wherever, whatever you're in, Reddit threads, right? There are places you can go where your, your target audience is that you can find and bring them to you that you don't need a huge social following for.
0: Great. Great stuff, Joanna. And another thing that, you know, people kind of get confused about is, you know, course creation, creating, and then uh, up till the point of getting your first sale, it involves so many things. And you know, uh, it's better if you do things in a certain order of priority. And sometimes people just get that wrong. In your experience as a beginner course creator, what are the things that you need to worry about to begin with? And what are the things you yeah. just need to like keep aside until you launch it?
1: Yeah, the, the first thing is, we, we teach everyone for your course to start with an MVP, your minimum viable product. So I think everyone thinks, I want my big high-ticket mastermind that has 100 videos and 20 downloads and all of these things. But think about what is the, the smallest thing you can make that people might want especially if you're fu- if you're funding your right if you're funding yourself and you're doing this yourself like there's time there's effort there's all of those things so so create that right that oh what to do on test day thing or you know my my top 5 SAT strategies you don't have to create the master course of everything you can create a mini course something smaller that that will start to grow your business. If you take three years to create your mastermind, that's three years you're not selling. If you create an MVP in two months, you start selling that, then you can start making your mastermind, right? Like you can make that later, and then you're, you're growing your brand and growing your business. So I think the first thing is to make sure you're thinking about that MVP, that minimum viable product that's going to get you to market and get you to revenue, you know, faster. The the next thing that, you know, I think that stops people from starting their business is thinking they need a full website. Right. So, So for their brand, thinking that they need like the whole website with everything. All you need is one sales page. You have one MVP, one sales page, you can start selling. You don't need a whole website. You don't need everything. And I think people will get tripped tripped up with that. And then I think the third is thinking they need every single social media platform. Now, if you've had a brand name, go get all your handles, right? Go go get them all so no one steals them. But it doesn't need, mean you need to be posting and creating content everywhere. Right. I I always recommend picking two to start with Um, to get good at. I don't like saying one because one, if like you never know when Twitter's going to become X. You know, you just like never know when something is no longer right for you. Yeah. So I, I think I think you should be on two social platforms um and two places growing that following. Um but you don't have to be growing everywhere and spreading yourself too thin creating content so picking the, the two places you think your target audience hangs out most is a great way to get started without having to do everything so I think I think it's the theme is trying to do everything and trying to make sure everything is perfect you just have to get started um, and sometimes thinking about you know courses are great because you're not trading time for money. But sometimes it's easier to start by trading some of your time for money and then using that revenue to help you build the course, build the digital products, right? Get, get to revenue by selling your done-for-you services, your one-on-one coaching, all of that so you have income, but then making sure you're spending time building the other things and funneling that, that, that income back into your own business.
0: Right. Got it. Uh, Joanna, now for the people, you know, who've kind of got off the blocks, you know, who've got an MVP ready and, you know, who've done a few sales, right? Now they want to scale up. And now, you know, they start thinking about so many tools that are out there, uh, you know, that help you create courses and, you know, automate everything. Uh, Now you can easily get lost here choosing the platforms, right? What are, you know, according to you, the key things that you need to look for? You know, if they are there, you can go for it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you need to have like an LMS and a CRM, right? So there's a lot of choices out there. There's some one-stop shops, but you need to have a place for for your course and right. for your landing pages and for all of that to come into place. That, that's a big one. Um, Because you're going to be creating video content, you need video editing tools. Um, I, I really like, honestly, CapCut and there's a lot of features you can use that are absolutely free. And I think CapCut is a really really great tool to to work with. If you're uh, so not I'm de- so
0: sorry. Uh, can you please spell that in case people Cap- want to check?
1: CapCut. It's C A P C U T.
0: Sorry, thank you. Right.
1: And there's a phone app and a desktop version. Um, So it's a great tool, especially, right, you're not a video editor. You're not going to use the whole Adobe Premiere suite. That's a great tool to get started with. Canva as a design tool is something I use all of the time. Again, I think there are some limitations that you need. you know, a professional designer for, but for making your your course slides or a download or something like that. Canva is a great tool, especially to get started with. I just discovered a really cool new tool that I'm currently obsessed with. Um, you should use it for your podcast, but it's called Opus Clip. And it is not free. They let you try it for free. Right. But Opus Clip you can upload a long form video and it will cut it into shorts for you. Right. So, and actually, I've tried a few and, and none of them have made me happy. This one is fantastic. And I, you can change the branding of the colors. You can shorten or lengthen the clips. You can, it pulls what it thinks are the best moments for you. And then you can then go in and edit them. And I use this. I have a podcast called Her First, it's for female online business owners. And I use this for my podcast to pull clips to add as YouTube shorts um, where we're posting posting that. And it saves me so much time from going through and captioning it myself. So Opus Clip is a really, really great tool if you want to get that short form content.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Joanna, uh, one other thing that people can, you know, uh, go really wrong is when everything is right, but the pricing, right? Uh, some of them undersell, some of them oversell, you know, how do you find the balance?
1: Yeah, I think that something that's really good to do and we recommend is starting with introductory pricing. So starting with, okay, the course is one ninety nine, and because you're a founding member, we're cutting it in half. That's going to tell you a lot and you'll be able to learn from your audience like what that is. I think it is important that you mean that. Like if you're selling it for one ninety nine and you're saying this is introductory, that it's not actually ninety-nine dollars forever because people are smart and they'll realize you're trying to trick them. But um, you know, discounting and and selling that, the other thing to think about is you're selling the the value and the outcome, not the amount of content. So sometimes people think like, oh, well, it's 10 videos. It should cost this much per video. Therefore, it's this much money. But actually that value is thinking about the outcome. So if you're selling a a strategic business model that someone's going to be able to make hundreds of thousand dollars a year off of after they learn, that price can be higher. But if you're selling, um, you know, just like, a more simple skill set that someone's not necessarily monetizing after the fact, that price point can be lower. So I think some things to do is to think about, right, that outcome, the value of the outcome, not the value of the amount of content is, is something to think about. The and then and then look at the market, like research what other people are charging for similar courses to get your price point. You don't need to do the work yourself. Like, just look okay, I'm selling a how to coach volleyball course. Let me look at what other how to coach volleyball content is out there. What are the specs? What are the things? Um, the other thing too, if you start with an MVP. You can raise your price point by either creating a larger course that has more content or you add to that course. So say you create an MVP, you sell it for $99. It sells like crazy. You're like, "Oh shoot, I should have charged more for this." Well, what you could do is add some things to it. Add downloads, add practice tests, add add more to it and then start charging more because you've added value. So you can say, "Okay, you know, if someone says, well, why was it 99 and now it's $199, you can say, oh, we added all of this content. That's why that price So You can increase the price of your courses over time by adding value to them um, in that way. So price can can change. Um, And then I also think it's important to have As you start with your MVP, but it's important to have a variety of price points that are different things. Having the $7 ebook, the $99 mini course, the $1,000 mastermind, and then the $300 an hour one on one one-on-one time, you have those price point options and someone can come in with you, buy the ebook for $7 and then buy your mini course and be like, oh, I really want the mastermind. And then they're like, oh, I really want one-on-one coaching so they can go through your whole your whole product suite.
0: Right. And uh, Joanna, one other thing where, you know, people can kind of, you know, get into a loop is... Perfection, right? Now when you mm-hmm. when it comes to course creation, there are multiple aspects to it. There's audio, there's video, there's content and stuff like that. Uh, how much should people be obsessed about perfection? And you know, what are the things that they can compromise about and you know not worry about and go launch it? At least every- yeah
1: Yeah, I think that a little bit of that depends on your target audience. Right. If you're selling a course about video production <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. To
1: people who do video production, then it's going to have to be top quality from the get-go. It right. just is. That right. that that's just the reality. So I think one, think about your audience. Um, but to get started. There's honestly nothing wrong with starting. Do you know what Loom is? Loom is a recording yeah. service. You can like share your screen and there's nothing wrong with having your face in the corner while you're going through slides and teaching if the content is good. Right. So the con- the content being good and transformational and valuable is your most important thing. And then just think about what best quality thing you can do in your budget is. You know, some people will spend, you know, $10,000 to go to a studio, have it professionally filmed, edited, all of those things, but not have a following, not have anyone to sell to. Like, if you want to spend, if you have the financial means to do that, go ahead. But most of us starting out don't just have a spare $10,000 in the bank to say like, oh, I'm going to build this course and spend all of this money. So starting with that simplest form of a loom recording with your face in the corner is okay. Also, if you want to spend a little bit of time learning video editing, or you want to outsource video editing, you could film with your phone camera. Like if you have a new iPhone and you get a nice light, like You can film just straight on talking to the camera and then outsource just the editing so you can get some text graphics, you can get some slides coming in and out. Something like that is a a more affordable way if you want like a level, if you want to level up from a screen recording Loom video, recording yourself on your iPhone or getting a camera for a couple hundred dollars and, and, and a studio light and then sending the, that content to a video editor, that's a, that's a more affordable way than like full studio production. So I think there's definitely a range of, of acceptability for that. Your price point should also reflect that. So if you're not having full studio production, you shouldn't be charging like top top tier price for your course. Um so I think that's just all things to think about. If thinking you need full studio production is stopping you from making your course, like don't let that stop you. Right. Make your content film it cuz what's going to happen is when you make your MVP, you're going to get feedback. So, you're going to have made all of those videos. If you spent all of that money on getting these perfect videos and then someone's like, "Oh, that lesson everyone's like that lesson doesn't make sense." You're going to have to remake it. But if you do that lesson first with your slides and your face in the corner, people say that doesn't make sense. You can, you can just remake that and upload it within a couple of days right. and, and get them that new content. Then once that content's perfected and you're making money, you might say, okay, now I'm going to upgrade this. Now, now I'm ready to, to bring it to the next level. So I think that the key is to just not let that, that initial if you do not have the funds for full production, that's OK. You can get started.
0: Right. And Joanna, a uh, final topic that I'd like to touch upon uh, as far as the course creation is concerned is what about people who look at platforms like Udemy or Skillshare and then you know, start creating courses just to sell on those platforms? Um, yeah. is it a balance between selling there and your own place? Or, you know, if you start selling there, should you just focus there? How does it all work?
1: Yeah, I think the the downside to those types of platforms is you don't own, like your content's not yours, right? Like you're splitting that revenue with them is my understanding right. of all right. of those. Right. And the benefit is that there is some support in the selling of the courses. So in, in my opinion, like your knowledge is your best asset and making sure you own your knowledge outright is the most important thing. Now, utilizing some of those, if you could take a strategy of utilizing those platforms for, for brand recognition, name recognition, and all of that to start, start growing your audience. But I think you can do that on YouTube. And you, right? You can like do free content on YouTube to grow to grow your audience, help people find you, and then sell your own courses that that you are the owner of.
0: Got it, got it, Joanna. Joanna, great stuff. Um, what I'm gonna do now is um, I'm gonna put a mark on this point, and um, I've got a list of questions that I shared with you. Uh, I'm going to go to them and uh, maybe a little more that I thought of while in the process of conversing with you. So if you can, you know, keep these um, sort of listical types or, you know, as short as possible, it'll be easier for us to make these specifically for short form video content format for promotion and distribution. Right. And every time I ask you a question, uh, before that, you'll see me pause a minute for marking. And after you've completed, and before I start another one, I'll take a moment to mark the clip. All right. Okay, so
1: just wait a second.
0: Yeah. You're so wondering what am I doing. Yeah, I'm just saying this yeah. is what I'm doing. Great. Uh, before, so here's my first question. Joanna, as a person with zero to non-significant following on social media, who's got a course ready, What are the three steps he or she can do to get enrollments?
1: So if you have no social media following, the first thing you should do is reach out to your network. Think about places, people who've worked with you who would help promote you or could be potential students. The next thing I would say is to set up your social media profiles, like set them up, um, make sure your profile is optimized with keywords and interesting facts, and then start promoting the transformation that your course has to offer. The last thing I would recommend is creating some sort of like lead magnet that you can point people to in in your within your networks. So a place that they can go, a landing page where they can sign up to receive some sort of free piece of content that's going to bring them into your community.
0: Here's the next one. What are the, some of the overrated or overhyped marketing techniques that one can avoid as a
1: course creator? I think one of the biggest overhyped uh, marketing techniques is, is sharing tips and tricks only on social media. So some people will focus on just sharing tips and tricks. That in and of itself, while can gain you followers, won't always gain you sales and selling outcomes and transformations is what will really help you um, with sales. So those like I'm only sharing tips sort of content while can help you find followers doesn't always lead to sales.
0: Great stuff. For those who are already overwhelmed by the structure of a landing page, just to simplify it for them, what are the three most critical things that they need to include in the landing page, at least to get started?
1: Yeah. The most important thing is social proof. So showing testimonials and folks that you've actually helped achieve the desired result that your course has to offer is super key in building trust. The next thing would be your credibility. You need to establish yourself and your credibility in order for people to want to buy from you. So sharing your story, sharing your credentials, and that social proof will add to that credibility. The last thing, and this is something I've shared a few times in this, but showing the outcome. People, yes, want to know how many lessons, how many you know, downloads, whatever is included. The most important thing is that people come to your landing page and know the result that they're getting from your course.
0: What are the top obstacles that most of the course creators face today?
1: That's a really good question. I think that the first thing is just mindset. Like, the biggest thing I see people struggle with is just putting their content out into the world, second-guessing second, second guessing everything, going back and forth on their branding, this like fear of perfectionism. I think having the right mindset of getting things in the world, testing, changing is really, really important. The next thing I would say that's a struggle is competition. Now lots of people are creating courses. You need to make sure what you offer is unique and authentic to you so that it stands out amongst all of the other courses and options that people have. And then I think another big strategy, uh, a big struggle is keeping up with technology. Technology is changing and making sure you're using the right tools is really important, but it can be overwhelming to keep track of all of that.
0: Joanna, in your experience, When are the times, you know, when people have come and told, okay, this is a course that I'm going to do is may you go WTF?
1: You know, I'm going to be completely honest that that hasn't happened to me. And it's because and what I'll tell you is I have realized in this business, there's a market for just about anything. So have I worked on courses I would not buy? 100%. Like, have I looked and say, why would someone want to learn that? Maybe initially, but there's always a market for something. If you have a skill, someone else wants that skill. And it might be totally niche and totally specific to to only a certain type of person, but it doesn't mean that that's not out there. So I actually haven't come across anything maybe initially like a little like what? And then you think for a second and you're like, "Oh, someone could want this." And so my thought on that is whatever your outlandish idea in your head is there's probably someone else who can benefit from what you have to offer
0: great stuff joanna thank you so much um it's been an awesome conversation uh you know a lot of things uh that i learned uh, from you today in a very concise manner and uh you know i'm sure a lot of course creators out there if they had to just sit down and listen to this at least they're going to you know whatever complications they've had whatever blockages that they've had uh you know this particular episode is just going to unblock all of those and they can take that step forward so that's how i see this podcast episode thank you so much for that
1: awesome thank you for having me
0: this podcast is brought to you by edison os a no-code tech platform to operate an online education business Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.